Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dan Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is in London this weekend for, well, UFC London, which is uh, main evented by Alexander Volkov versus Tom Aspinall. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will be particularly profitable this upcoming weekend. Plus, I got interviews for you. As always, this week, I'm talking to two of the fighters who will be on UFC Columbus the following weekend. First, I'll be talking to Brian Bam Bam Barbarena as he gets ready for his fight with Matt Brown. And then later on, I will be talking to Bruno Souza, who tells us a whole lot of what's what's called funny stories. But before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there right now, you can check out my bonus pick for UFC London, which you can only find on the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode, the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Brian Barbarena, who fights Matt Brown at UFC Columbus on March 26th. So, Brian, before we get into all the fight talk, give us an update. How are things going on the Bam Fam Farm? Any new developments on that front? Hey, yeah, uh, definitely. You know, we're always working to improve our farm and everything, and uh, we're really heading in a different direction now. You know, we're we're really focusing on regenerative farming and uh, using, you know, the bettering our soil and using the animals to help do that and um, help create better better meat for our, our family and for friends and everybody else and then also uh, create good crops and everything in our garden. Um, so we're really leaning towards regenerative farming and uh, doing things where we're not disrupting the soil like tilling or anything like that. Um, you know, we're doing no tilling and planting seed and then using the uh, a grazing system where we're moving, you know, our animals through the, the paddocks uh one at a time at different sessions like they'll be on a paddock for one day and then move to the next paddock so that way you know they're eating the grass down to a certain certain length and then uh you know stomping in seeds stomping in their manure and everything like that moving over but it's not you know overgrazed um so really creating great pasture raised grass-fed meat and um you know with our our garden we're really working hard on the garden this year to really produce a, a good uh good produce and you know no pesticides no anything you know it's really important for us to be as self-sustainable as possible and to create uh you know food where we know exactly everything that's going into it and uh it's going to be the most healthiest for our, our bodies and our families well that's awesome i i feel like i always learn something about farming every single time i talk to you which is <laughs> just always a benefit now I also know, obviously, why, you know, you're doing lots on the farm and, and that's always really important to you. 
I know that, that fight camp tends to be a time away from the farm as well, right? Like you, you usually down at Jim O in, in doing your work there. Has it been tough this time around being, being away from home? You know, it's, it's always tough being away from home. You know, it's always hard being gone. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of things to do on the farm and that we're looking to improve in different areas and, you know, update things and moving things around and creating new things. But, uh, the hardest part is really just being away from my family, you know, my wife, my kids, my three kids. Uh, that's really the hardest part. And, uh, you know, it's just something that we have to do for, for camp and for me to get the best training and be ready for these fights. And, you know, it's, it's hard on everybody. And, um, you know, we just understand it and, uh, we get through it and we get through it together and we make sure we spend on the weekends, we spend, uh, a lot of quality time together and really uh, cherish those moments. Well, that's great to hear. Now, let's get to talking about that fight a little bit, because this is actually the second time you've been fight booked to fight Matt Brown. Uh, obviously, the first time he got COVID, he had to pull out of the fight. What was it like in that moment when you found out, you know, I, I know you've been looking for legend fights and you like the idea of fighting some of these legends in the, the welterweight division. What was it like when you had to hear that he was pulling out of the fight and instead you'd be fighting a newcomer? Uh, you know, it was actually uh, pretty pretty random i was actually playing uh video games and streaming at the time and uh someone in my stream was like dude i'm so sorry to hear the news about matt brown pulling out and i was like wait what <laughs> he's like you know like in my chat i'm like what what do you mean what's going on and they're like oh yeah he posted on social media and then i got a text from my buddy scott holtzman and he's like dude i'm so sorry i'm like dude why are you sorry and he's like oh, you know Matt Brown pull out. So I went to his like Matt Brown's Instagram because uh, that's where the guy had said he saw it. So I went there and sure enough, you know, he's like a pop recovery. He's out of the fight. Um, messaged Sean Shelby and he was like, I just found out uh, we're working on it. Um, so obviously, you know, the first, first thing is like, oh, you know, I'm crushed. Like, oh, this is the matchup I really wanted. Yes, he's a legend, but also it's the way he fights. You know, I'm a fan of his you know i love the way he fights and he brings it every time so that was what excited me the most about the fight and uh for him to have to pull out you know obviously i hoped that he was rec- you know would recover well and, and have no issues um but it was it was a bummer for me and then you know i didn't have a fight going into fight week i got the fight week and was there and you know got my opponent while i was in fight week so uh it didn't matter who i just know i needed to refocus like I let it bother me for maybe 10 minutes top, you know, talk to my coach, talk to my wife, talk to my team. Um, was like, you know, we don't know who we're getting whatever, but we're ready to fight anybody. We didn't do all this work not to have a fight. Um, and I told Sean Shelby that I told him, you know, give me anybody. I'm ready to go. So, um, you know, it just happened to be during weeks and I, you know, thankful for him to step in and, uh, you know, was happy to go out there and get the win. And that was really the first time you had had to fight somebody on such incredibly short notice since coming to the UFC. You've been relatively lucky when it comes to that. They've either, you know, rebooked you with the same opponent a couple of weeks later or, you know, in a, a couple of cases, you know, it was a major injury that kept you out for a longer period of time. But, like, you haven't had to do that where you show up to fight week, although that seems like something a lot of people are doing now. What was it like in the preparation? What, what did you feel like you had to do in that fight week to get ready for the moment? Oh, you know, I, you know, the only, last time I had to fight short notice was, uh, when I fought Sage North Coast. That was on eight days. Um, but this one, you know, I didn't have a preparation for that. This one I felt totally prepared, you know, like even in that fight, like I went in confident, but this one, it was, you know, it was different. We didn't, we went to fight week. We didn't have, 
have a name. We didn't have any idea what they'd be like. And when I did get the name and everything, it was just keeping that mindset is, you know, we worked a lot on maybe some things for Matt Brown, but we worked a lot on me improving myself. So, um, you know, and just getting ready. So I was ready to fight anybody. We worked a little bit of everything and, uh, you know, it was just staying focused and knowing my ability and knowing that, you know, I can compete with anybody who comes in there. So, um, when I did get the matchup and Darian Weeks, you know, I didn't watch really any film. Uh, my team watched a little bit, but we were just like, you know what? We just go in there, we do us, and uh, we'll be all right. And you certainly were. Obviously, after getting the big win, which is, you know, exciting and back on the winning track for you, you get rebooked with Matt Brown. You get that fight that you, you know, you just mentioned. You not only liked for its legend status, but you liked it because stylistically he brings it. He brings a very exciting fight every single time. What was the reaction like when they offered you Matt Brown again, or, or were you in their ear constantly asking for that? You know, I, I was I was in their ear. I, you know, I'll say that I was trying to you know get matched up, and uh, I was pushing for to get rematched up with him. And honestly, it sounded like it wasn't going to happen. Uh, you know, they were pretty clear about like the chances of it happening were really unlikely. And uh, you know, I just kept pushing. The Columbus car came up, and. You know, I made sure to throw some tweets out there to tag Matt Brown in as well and to tell the UFC, like, man, I'll, let's go. You know, I'll, I'll fight him in Columbus in his town. Let's do it. Um, you know, let's just make this happen. And, you know, when, when they came back and, you know, there was kind of like a delay and a pause in there, like, you know, man, this might not even happen. Um, and then they came back and were like, yep, you know, Matt Brown in Columbus, you know, let's do it. And I was like, hell yeah. Like, I was super pumped, super excited, thankful. Um, really thankful for the opportunity again to, to get this fight rebooked and uh, thank you for Matt Brown to accept it again and man I'm ready to go out there and put on a show it's really coming full circle and I think you know honestly I believe that this is this is the way this is exactly where it's supposed to happen in the beginning like him falling out him getting COVID everything lining up and for it to be in his backyard um, you know and get the matchup there and fight him there in front of all the, his fans and everything like that this is where it's meant to be, and uh, I'm ready to run a perfect storm on them. One, and I was going to ask you about that that live crowd aspect of it too, because you know so many fighters nowadays fighting in the apex and not getting that live crowd experience. Not only do you get Matt Brown, you get Matt Brown in Columbus, Ohio, in his hometown, uh, in and in front of dozens or you know thousands and thousands of fans rather. What what is it like knowing that not only you got that fight, but knowing that you're gonna have fans cheering your name or cheering against you in this case, maybe uh, for a fight for the first time in a while? Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely exciting. You know, uh, you know, I didn't mind the Apex not having no fans and everything like that, or even when they bring a little bit of fans, um, it didn't really bother me. But there is that you know that excitement about fans that brings you know extra oomph to the fight, extra extra excitement. Uh, so it's going to be sweet to be back, back in the arena with full fans. And like you said, there, you know, I'll have some cheering for me, but I think a lot of them are going to be cheering for him. <laughs> uh, uh, but I guarantee you after the fight, they're going to be cheering for, uh, for me as well. Well, you know, you mentioned that they're going to be cheering for you. They mentioned that you're going to bring that perfect storm for them. I, I always try to end these things with a prediction. Do you have a prediction for how this one ends with Matt Brown in, at UFC Columbus? Yeah, I predict, uh, you know, lots of violence on both ends, you know, I believe we're both going after the same thing and that's just our fighting style and the way we look, we go into fights and we're both going to try to finish each other. I believe this fight is going to end in the finish. And I believe that, you know, if it doesn't, you're going to see a whole lot of damage and a whole lot of violence. And it's going to be, you know, definitely a fight of the year contenders, but I don't see it going that far. And I plan on going in there and putting the perfect performance together. And like I said, the perfect storm and getting the finish.
All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Brian Barbarena, who fights Matt Brown at UFC Columbus on March 26th. Brian, thanks so much for the time again. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for talking with me. Hey, guys. I just wanted to hit you with a quick editor's note here. I had a little bit of issues when we recorded this segment with Shockwave Dave, mostly because uh, my microphone apparently unplugged, so it recorded straight from the computer, which is obviously a much worse sound. So I apologize ahead of time for the sound quality of this portion of the episode, but it will not happen again. Um, anyway, enjoy our picks. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian Bam Bam Barbarena. I want to get a Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. Last weekend, an amazing fight night card. Well, amazing right up until the main event where we got Magomed Ankalaev, who won a decision over Tiago Santos, but I want to ask you this, how much of a winner is he? Because I'd argue he's actually farther from a title shot with that win. What say you? Yeah, so I want to take this two different ways. Way one, yes, I agree. He hurt himself with the win, and he hurt himself by being super honest and saying he thought he had opportunities to end the fight, but he wanted to win via decision. The reasoning for that was a little unclear. Not what fans want to hear. Certainly not what Papa White wants to hear. The UFC wants you to be going for finishes. Don't leave it in the hands of the judges. If you've ever seen one episode of The Ultimate Fighter, we know that is the Dana White ethos. So really just not good self-branding or self-marketing on his part with that. And I do think it hurts his title chances. But at the same time, He's in a pretty weak division for title challengers at 205. I, you know, I don't think Anthony Smith's going to get the next title shot. Tiago Santos now coming off a loss. You know, Dominic Reyes would have to rebuild some stock. Yuri Prijaka has got the next title shot. I guess maybe Jan Blankovic could get another shot as a former champion, but that doesn't really thrill anyone either. So at the same time, if you're going to mess up like that, you might as well do it at a division that's weak on challengers. Let's say you. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Light heavyweight's the best place to do that. But I 100% think now, following that fight, he needs to beat a Jan Blankovic or an Anthony Smith or a you know Alexander Rakich or somebody like that. Like he's going to need that one more win because bottom line is they can't give him a title shot over what they just saw. And I think if he did go out there and flatline Thiago Santos, I think not only did would he get a title shot, it would be obvious in in super 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 easy to give him the next title shot. So now I think he has to, especially with the timing of things and, and Glover not fighting until I, I think it's June now, I, I think we're definitely not seeing a Megamed Inc. live uh, title shot until we see at least one more win out of him. You know what actually shocks me in all of this? Because I, I feel like the UFC has really shifted their matchbooking philosophy over the last few years. You just saw this. Uh, last week, Dana White said that fans should get over the fact that Connor might earn a title shot. I shouldn't even say earn, might be given a title shot when he comes back, just based on his name value, where you see them putting Jorge Masvidal, who's, you know, over his last three, he's always going to get top billing as a megastar of the company. And with 205 being light on uh, names, you know, it's a lot of hard names to even pronounce in that top five, which I'm sure the UFC does not necessarily love. That all is the long-winded way of me saying, I'm shocked they just don't tell John Jones, cut the weight again and just come back and murk people at 205 again. Well, I, I mean, I think they would like that, but I think also the other thing with John Jones right now is that they are not in good place with him still. I, I truly believe that whether 
he's moving up and he's taking some time for himself or whatever. I, I don't think that's the whole story. I, I think there's still a contract dispute there. And I also think, I, I don't know if you've seen pictures of that man. I don't think he's ever touching 205 ever again. Yeah, he, you he, might be right. He looks like a big – I give him the same amount of chance to ever make 205 again as I give Habib to make 155 again because that dude is thick too. So, uh, yeah, like it, it's a shame that he's not still down there because, uh, I mean – there's lots of fun matchups now or newer matchups now that are kind of interesting at 205. Whereas when he left, you were like, yeah, nobody cares anymore. But now we got Yuri, who's a star and you got Angoliev, who's probably a fight away and Rachich and Glover. And like, although Glover wasn't a fresh matchup, that that is a lot of new stock for Jones to fight, which would have been nice if he was still there. But Hey, we're going to see some good stuff out of heavyweight soon with him. I think. Cool. Well, I'll tell you what I can't wait to see and think about, and that's this weekend's fights. Uh, it's UFC London in front of live fans in London. We're out of Vegas, Gumby. Thank the good Lord. Uh, so let's get on with it. It's our favorite segment on the show. It's Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC London. But before we do get to it, Gumby, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fight Sucks and Parlays is brought to you by Double Nickels Sports Betting. You can check out Nichols over on Instagram at 55DoubleNickels55. My guy's going to send you five picks each and every morning from the world of NBA, NHL, MLB, tennis, and MMA. And I'm not lying when I'm saying he's hitting five almost every single day. And unlike a lot of those guys who are trying to get you to just tail their picks, he's giving you a lot more than that. Nichols hits you with tips and insights that consistently put him at the front of the game. With prices that never exceed 10 bucks a day and go as low as 4 bucks a day, there's no reason not to give this man a try. And if you mention our podcast when you sign up, he's even going to hit you with a bigger discount. That's 10% off. Don't delay. That's at 55DoubleNickels55 on Instagram. Double Nickels Sports Betting. We got ourselves a very close fight in the main event at heavyweight. Tom Aspinall, minus 110. Alexander Volkov, minus 110. So Vegas doesn't necessarily know what to make of this fight, but we do, and let's break it down. Tom Aspinall is undefeated in the UFC. He has looked incredibly impressive, uh, 4-0 and in the UFC, 11-2 and as a pro. But in the UFC, we've seen him finish uh, people via TKO. He finished Sergey Spivak, Alan Bodau, Jay Collier via TKO, and then a rear naked choke win over Andre Arlovsky. So, He's a versatile heavyweight. Those don't come those don't come around very often. On the other end of the octagon, you have Alexander Volkov. He's coming off a unanimous decision win over Marcin Tibera. Lost to Cyril Gain, the former title challenger, the last person to challenge for the title. But before that, Volkov had a TKO win over Alistair Overeem, TKO win over Walt Harris. So he is three and one in his last four. Who you got? I'm going to go with Tom Aspinall here. Uh, I, I know that that's maybe not the popular pick right now. I'm actually seeing a lot of people in there for Volkov. But I think Aspinall has the right kind of aggression to deal with that length of Volkov. And in addition to that, like you mentioned, he's more versatile. He has got the takedown game that I think a lot of people sleep on. What he did to, to Andre Arlovsky was nothing short of damn impressive. It's hard to get in on the leg to Andre Arlovsky, even at this stage of his career. And it's even harder to finish him. So, for Aspinall to have done that in a kind of shocking fashion, I've got a lot of stock in his takedowns. I also think he hits harder than Volkov, which I think is a big factor here. Those takedowns also might deter a little bit of Volkov's kicking game. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Tom Aspinall here, and it's an interesting one to see at a pickup. 
Yeah, I'm going with Tom Aspinall as well. I like his hands more. I think he's got more dynamic striking than Volkov. Let's move to another fun fight, which is Dan Hooker, who's betting off at minus 115, against Arnold Allen, who's betting off at minus 105. So tough to get a dog play here um, at the top two matches on the weekend. Now, Hooker has run into a bit of turbulence recently. He was on a three-fight win streak, then lost back-to-back to Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler in Michael Chandler's UFC debut. That was back in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Um, then, through the rest of 2021, he lost to Chandler in January. Uh, he beat Nesrek Hatbrest uh, in September and then lost via Kimura to Islam Makhachev in October. So, He's one and three in his last four, and just last year alone, he was one and two. So not a great 2021 for the once promising prospects. Arnold Allen, on the other hand, has never tasted defeat in the UFC. He's 17 and one as a pro, and in the UFC, uh, this man is eight and zero. Uh, he's beaten the likes of Jordan Rinaldi, Gilbert Melendez, Nick Lentz, and coming off a unanimous decision win over Sadiq Youssef. Just to talk about recently, he is a minus 105. Hooker is a minus 115. What do you make of it? I think I'm going to go with Arnold Allen here, mostly just because I really hate Dan Hooker coming back down to featherweight. I I know we we talked about him possibly being a title challenger up there at lightweight, and he was looking damn good up at lightweight. But I think people forget just kind of how how hard of a time it is for him to make uh, featherweight. And how he wasn't necessarily the most impressive featherweight before he moved up. This is a guy who I think a lot of his stock came from moving up in a weight class. And now he's going back to the one that seemingly was harder for him, which it seems like a weird thing. But I guess that's what happens when you lose is you're looking for a, a different way. But, you know, you, you got to remember, this is a guy who, who down at featherweight lost to Jason Knight and lost to Maximo Blanco. And granted, yeah, that was, you know, five years ago at this point, but... You know, I just worry about those kinds of things down at uh, Featherweight again, for him to be making it that big. And to be honest, like, Arnold Allen is just a beast, dude. He's all around really great in every area. I, I think his pace, his strength, it's just going to be m- too much for Dan Hooker here. So I'm, I'm going to take Arnold Allen. And if you're looking to sprinkle on a prop here, Arnold Allen by decision is probably an easy play. I like where your head's at. Again, not going to add anything onto that. I agree with you. Gunnar Nelson is a minus 350 favorite to Takashi Sato. Um, Gunnar Nelson, man, wow. We have not seen Gunnar Nelson in going on three years. And it's just a, a gift to an MMA fan that now he's back and we get to see him again. But what an interesting career it's been for Gunnar Nelson. I want to take a look at this real quickly, Gumby. Gunnar Nelson debuted at 4-0 and in the UFC, lost a split decision, uh, split decision loss to Rick Story back in October of 2014, wrote it off as a bad performance. He definitely deserved to lose that fight, came back and beat Brandon Thatch via rear naked choke, and it felt like the sky was the limit. At UFC 194, they matched him up against fellow jiu-jitsu ace, albeit a more accomplished jiu-jitsu ace in Demian Maya in December of 2015, and he lost. Okay, but he came back and beat Alan Joban and Albert Tumanoff in 2016 and 2017, but then ran into a KO via Santiago Ponzinibbio, and it just feels like Gunner's career went off track in July of 2017 with that Ponzinibbio fight. He came back, beat Alex Oliveira via rear naked choke, and then lost to Leon Edwards and Gilbert Burns back-to-back in uh, 2019, and we haven't seen him in 20, since 2019. It's been three years, 
and he's won and three in his last four, albeit the losses being to the very tippy top of the division. Really no shame in losing to Ponzinibbio, Leon Edwards, and Gilbert Burns. But nonetheless, Gunnar Nelson trying to get his MMA career on track. At age 33, might be tough to do. Don't really know if he's in it for the long run, but he has an opponent. He should be able to beat Takashi Saito is coming off a loss to Miguel Baeza via arm triangle choke. Doesn't bode well when you're facing Gunnar Nelson. Uh, Sato beat Jason Witt before that via TKO, but lost to Balil Muhammad via rear naked choke uh, before that. So in the UFC, Sato is 2-2 two and two with two submission losses. He has three submission losses in his pro fighting career and fighting a jiu-jitsu ace in Gunnar Nelson, what do you think? Yeah, I'm all Gunnar Nelson on this one. I will say I'm a little cautious on the line, because Sato does throw bombs, and if he happens to connect on one in the seat, it could be a bad night for Gunnar, but that karate stance always gives Gunnar a little buffer there, and I, I think, you know, just ultimately, a guy who had trouble with the grappling Miguel Baeza is going to have a lot of trouble grappling Gunnar Nelson. It's Gunnar Nelson all day here. All right. Well, now it's time to get to our dog of the week. Speaking of jiu-jitsu, it's Paul Craig, applied a, a plus 150 facing Nikita Krylov. Yeah, I, I like Nikita Krylov. I actually think he's probably a better striker than Paul Craig here. But the reason I'm in on Paul Craig as a plus 150 underdog is, look, Nikita Krylov has made mistakes in his grappling more than one time. And the beauty with Paul Craig is it only takes one mistake. I personally am a little down on the fight IQ of Nikita Krylov, and as a result, Paul Craig plus 150 seems like a steal that you just can't pass up. Uh, our parlay to play, Mohamed Mokiev and Molly McCann. Mokiev, a minus 350. Meatball Molly, a minus 120. Pretty strong favorites. Well, Molly, a slight favorite. Uh, but regardless, pair them together. It gets you plus 135 odds. Let's hear it. Yeah, so I'm going to take Mohamed Mokayev here. Look, I, I think his wrestling is outstanding. We haven't seen him yet in the UFC, but if you saw him fight for Brave, this dude is the real deal. He's got like 20-plus amateur fights in addition to his 5-0 and pro record. The guy looks outstanding. I have a lot of faith in him. He's fighting a guy who mostly wants to wrestle in Cody Durden, which I think is a nightmare, nightmare matchup for Cody Durden, a guy who is just going to out-wrestle him, which is why you see him at negative 350. But while I don't like that play straight up because the number's steep, I do really love pairing it with somebody like Molly McCann, who we can take from a slight favorite, fighting at home. You never bet against Molly McCann fighting in her home country. Uh, against Luana Carolina, somebody who's got a box with her. And I just think Molly McCann, not only can she possibly get into close range and box up Luana Carolina a little bit, I also think the takedowns are going to be there for her. Luana Carolina notoriously looked bad grappling against Ariane Lipsky. So, yeah, I think Molly McCann has a whole bunch of ways to win this, and I like using Wokayev to boost her odds up. Boom. Well, that does it for this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as we enjoyed talking about it. You could let us know on our Twitter feed if we did you right or did you dirty with our picks at Top Turtle MMA. Same thing goes for Instagram. Gumby, this train is a rumbling down the tracks. Where should we stop next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Bruno Souza, who is getting ready to fight at UFC Columbus in just two weeks. So, uh, we're going to get to that interview for you right now, but before we do, I do need to mention that this interview with Bruno Souza is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. 
Maroon Social Bridge, this interview with Bruno Souza. All right, and joining me today is Bruno Souza, who fights Luis Saldana at UFC Columbus. That fight is on March 26th, and we'll be talking about that fight in just a second. But before we do, Bruno, I got to kick off with this kind of question. I was looking around on your social media, and I noticed in your Twitter profile that it said that you had wanted to be a comedian, but only your wife laughed at your jokes. I got to ask, <laughs> is, is that for real? Did you really want to be a comedian? <laughs> you got me off guard right here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, like I, I cannot say I wanted to be a comedian. I never tried it for real, but like, yeah, I love I love joking around, you know. Like, uh, but it's also true that only her laugh at my jokes, and sometimes not all the time. <laughs> So, so you're saying you've never really tried, you never went on stage or anything like that, but, but is that something you thought like when you were a kid, like you were a high school kid, you thought maybe I'd be a stand-up comedian? Ah, for sure. Uh, for sure. Uh, stand-up was really slow in Brazil when I was growing up, but, uh, I, uh, I used to look up that there was nothing on the internet at the time. Right. But everything that, that stand-up comedian, it's always what got me because I don't like, uh, uh, I don't know how you say in English, but when when the guy acts, like mm -hmm. I like it, it's funny. But I, I like when when the guy writes and he's just himself in a mic and he tells his jokes and it's funny, you know. That that's what I like. So so we 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 joke a lot about that. Uh, well, I, I love it. I'm I'm glad that that's for real because I was wondering if that was the real deal or if it was just something somebody puts in a Twitter profile. So it literally makes my day that that is the the actual truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, and and you see that on, on my persona too. Like, we we love joke about, right? Uh, even in a fight, I I joke all the time, and and majority of the time, I'm not joking with my opponent. Sometimes I'm gonna laugh. Sometimes I'm gonna I gonna do some kind of face, but it's because I did something wrong. I got punched in the face, you know. Like, so that's that's how I choose to live my life. You know, we joke about everything. Look. Every single thing you can imagine, good or bad, we joke about, right? So, me and my wife. So, like, that's how we, we live the life. I, I love that. Now, I'm curious, too, because you just said it, it seeps into your fighting life. It seeps into the style that you like to bring. Do, do you feel like that helps you stay loose in there? That, that either in, you know, you, you obviously have an extensive karate background, an extensive BJJ background, and now you're, you're well into your MMA career. Do you feel like it's helped you in all those different facets? A hundred percent. I'm a different fighter when I'm too tense and when I'm relaxed. My best fights are when I'm relaxed, you know. So, and the two things that I, I look for to be relaxed, sometimes we're not able to. Sometimes we start the fight too tense and and I loosen up during the fight. Sometimes I cannot loosen up, so the fight kind of like, but if I'm laughing, I'm enjoying to be there, you know. I don't want that, that, that the fight is over you know i want to be there for for as much time as i can so so yeah i love it now i we do have to actually start talking about the fights now so you know <laughs> you're, you're you're fighting luis saldana here he's another rangy kickboxer type and, and you're coming off of your first loss in five years which is against another guy who likes to fight that kind of style right melsic bakhtazarian likes to fight at range he likes to kickbox he doesn't like to grapple and mix it up in inside what did you think when they offered you another opponent who was, you know, just like the last guy that you fought? Yeah, I don't, I don't see that. They, of course, they are strikers, but they they look for different things during the fight. Uh, so then I see him more as a counter striker and long distance, 
And Maltek, he, he tends to fight in a short distance, right? He, he likes to not brawl, but he likes to be in the fight, right? Throwing combos. He didn't bid on our fight, you know, uh, probably because he didn't want to get countered or something. But he tends to walk forward. And Saldana, of course, he wants to walk forward, but he, he plays a little bit more on the outside. Uh, and that's a huge difference uh, when, when you talk about striking. And But I, I love the matchup, actually. I watched this Saldana last fight live. Uh, I, I love it. His first round was pretty good. He was moving around. Yeah, I don't know what happened. He, he, he slowed down a little bit in the, in the second, third round. He ended up losing. But I, I remember watching his last fight with my wife. I'm like, okay, he moves like, like I, I like his footwork. I like his style, you know. Well, that, now, I'm curious, too, because you did mention a, a very key difference in there, that Bogdazarian in the past has brawled a little bit more. Saldana, you know, moves around on the outside looking for counters. Is, is there a style there that you prefer to fight? Do you prefer to fight a guy looking for those types of counters in, in, in from a kickboxing standpoint, but also a jiu-jitsu standpoint, because you are a guy who is damn good on the ground, even though we didn't get to see it in the last fight. Wh- which of those two styles plays better to you, do you think? I'm not good. I'm just a karate guy. Okay, let's let's keep like that. Okay, let's <laughs> we, people people don't need to worry about my jujitsu. <laughs> just a board. No, that is that is no style that I prefer. Uh, and I'm being 100% honest. I think all styles have good and bad things. And my job as a fighter, my goal as a fighter, actually, always in my whole career, even before I started fighting, I was like, okay, I want to be able to fight anyone and to have something on my pocket for anyone, you know, it's either your rapper, jiu-jitsu, kickboxer, boxer, I have to have something for you, you know, some game plan, something. So that's that's what I, uh, that, that that's what makes me excited about the fight, is the game plan. It's like study the guy and see what all, all games uh, like what weapons I have, they're gonna fit good for this opponent or not, you know. So I think all the fights has given that thing. So so yeah, I don't I don't prefer anyone, but I I, I love it everything. Well, now I'm gonna I'm gonna press you a little bit on this too because you just said <laughs> nobody needs to worry about my jujitsu. Nobody needs to worry. I'm just a karate champion, right? You're a jujitsu black belt. Let's let's call a spade a spade here, right? Like you're 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 damn good. Um, uh, Nobody needs to worry about. It. Just a karate kid. Well, well, so, 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 do you do you like that 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 is just kind of something that people forget about you? Do you feel like people forget it about you, or are you just trying to lull them into a false sense of security here? Yeah, it's a a little bit of both. I like when people forget about it. You know, I didn't I didn't have to use, uh, but it's definitely something that we work. We are MMA fighters, you know, so so we train like daily, everything. But of course, okay, uh, I, I, I will be lying to you in saying that I, I'm going to do a game plan that's going to be based on takedown and everything. Because I'm a karate guy and I've been doing this for literally my whole life, it's always the thing that I'm going to look for is to put my, my karate game in, right? But if my opponents want to grapple me, that's when the jiu-jitsu comes out, you know? So I don't, I don't see myself looking for it, but... If my opponents start looking for it, not not, not only about Saldana, uh, you can you can see in my my previous fight too. Uh, I w- I will know what to do, you know. I I love that mentality. So that means, and usually I like to try to end these these talks with 
a question about how you see this fight going, but it sounds like you're, you've already kind of laid it out for me. You expect this guy to stand in trade with you. You're not going to start the, the grappling. So how does this one end on March 26th? Yeah, I think I think we that is that is of course like any fight. There is many ways that it can happen, but I think if I can control the distance and the footwork on it, we're gonna have an edge, you know. So I, I believe the first one between me and Saldana, that find the right distance, find start finding the right punches because he's also like to he's a long striker. He's also to be in the outside. The first one that starts finding on like the range. It's gonna be. It's gonna have an edge on, you know. So I think that's gonna be a chess battle. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it once again, fans. This has been Bruno Souza, who fights Luis Saldana at UFC Columbus. That fight is on March 26th. Bruno, thank you so much for the time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Anytime. It's a pleasure. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Double Nickel Sports Betting, Maroon Social, and, of course, Better Than Vegas. And remember, you guys can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.